Welcome to the Classic Car Corner Podcast. We are glad you can join us here today. Our guest here this evening is a 60-year veteran in automotive mechanics. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is sponsored by Springdale Automotive, the next generation in car care, locally owned, professionally operated, whatever you drive, we service. From domestic, Euro, hybrid, and electric, classics, and diesels, Springdale's classic car services include maintenance, repair, and diagnostics with five convenient neighborhood locations. How may we be of service? I'm Jason Painter, and co-hosting today is John Lockhart and Eric Benzel, and today we welcome Patrick Knight. We were privileged to visit Patrick's garage several weeks ago, and the automotive memorabilia you've collected over the years is just simply incredible. We want to hear more about what you've collected, but first, give us a little bit about your back background, Patrick. Um, earlier, we talked about years of experience. Mm-hmm. I've got 40 years of experience in the business, but I think I've got 60 years of experience working <laughs> in the business, from evenings to weekends. Mm-hmm. And that's when you really learn the business. Yeah, You learn things from 8 to 5, but from 5 to 8 o'clock is when you can really get down to the nitty-gritty and you can learn things that that are on a slower play basis. Mm-hmm. The, the lead guy there will, will take some time and explain to you how that carburetor works, how you adjust that wheel bearing, why you need to lubricate contact points on the brake shoes so that they flow out, make contact, and then return back. Sometimes during the day, that doesn't get brought to the top of the table. And so right. you learn this just by, I'm, I'm going to actually physically take this thing apart, study how it works, and then I'm going to put it back together, and then you got it fixed. Yeah, that's, right. that's it. Yeah, exactly. And you it's, learn to do A to B to get it done and then after you're done you learn over experience over time b to c why you do it that way right exactly so you you retain that experience and and that's why it's done that way so so tell us about your first project what what uh what 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 car did you work on and you said you know what i think i i think i kind of like doing this i think i might might do this for a living what Okay, well, started. My grandfather was in the in the automotive business. He worked at VV Cook Chevrolet here in Louisville for 22 years, and he would bring me parts home that came out of the warranty room or the the takeoffs, mm-hmm. and carburetors, wheel bearings, everything. He'd bring me things home, and I would take them apart and play with them, and then he would explain to me how they worked, and so it just become a natural thing. I'm in high school. I got a buddy that's got a '59 Ford. His dad was a salesman. This is a big old white four-door 59 Ford. Wasn't even a Galaxy, just some basic car, but the clutch was out. So we go to his house in his gravel driveway, jack the car up, put it on four concrete blocks, which we shouldn't say because it's a bad thing to do, (laughs) but we did. And we had the toolbox with the handle on top of it with a few Craftsman tools in it, Mm -hmm. and we yanked that tranny out and laid it on the gravel and put a clutch in it. And the next afternoon, he was rolling again. He was rolling. That's yeah. awesome. So how old were you when your dad started bringing parts home to you to tinker with? Twelve. Ah, Twelve years nice. old. There yes. you go. That is right. awesome. Yep. And actually, that was before the days of OSHA. <laughs> right. And you could take your, as a mechanic, you could take your kid to work with you. Mm-hmm. And nobody complained. Um, as I would walk in the in the shop with Grandpa, 
one of the other technicians that worked next to him would walk over with a brand new red shop towel and stick it in my back pocket. And he said, now you look like a mechanic. Oh, right. nice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Got to cool. have a towel sticking out of your back pocket. <laughs> cool. There you go. But That's they welcomed cool. me with open arms mm-hmm. and, and no question was, was out of place. They would stop and take time to answer it for me, even though they were working on commission. There you go. And, right. and they needed to get that job done, but they would help me. Now, was this a general repair shop, or was this specific to Ford that, that you fixed the Ford? That was just a driveway, just, obviously. Just, okay, okay. That gotcha. was a driveway deal. you know. But, okay. but the repair shop that I went to with Grandpa was mm-hmm. V.V. Cook Chevrolet. Okay. All right, and I know you've got a lot of history with V.V. Cook, and I think that's worth talking about here. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the V.V. Cook history real quick. Um, as a, as a 12 year old, 14 year old, 15 year old kid, I used to go down there with grandpa during the summers Mm -hmm. and And this uh, was located downtown Louisville, downtown third and Kentucky. Okay. Yep. A lot of people (laughs) will remember that would, um, would just shadow him. Just that's a modern day word. If you want to be a doctor, you shadow a doctor. Mm -hmm. Well, I shadowed my grandfather Mm -hmm. and I learned about the things and I learned about the business. And at that time I learned about VV Cook Chevrolet. Mm Mm-hmm. And so uh, fast forward several years, I get out of college and I was ready to go to work. And I told my dad, I said, you know, what? I'm going down to VV Cook and get a job and work with Grandpa. And that was it wasn't well received mm-hmm. after four years of college. I got you. Right. But that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I did and became in in the apprenticeship program with a, quote, lead tech it's kind of a today's term, mm-hmm. but they put four of us young pups with a, a guy that was about 35 years old that was a crackerjack wrench. Mm-hmm. And we learned in six months everything that he had learned in six years. Oh, gotcha. Wow. And nice. all of a sudden, the four of us were really ready to move on to the quote line mm-hmm. as a line mechanic i got you because of what we were able to absorb from him and roughly what years were the were these 71 to 73 okay see now i i have a similar experience where i shadowed my grandfather but that's literal because i held the flashlight and usually he was just yelling at me because i wasn't holding it right <laughs> creating shadows not putting it at the right spot and he, you know and you think after 20 plus years of holding that flashlight i'd be an expert flashlight guy but i don't know wherever he is now he'd shake his head like <laughs> well, no. now you know you know what a drop cord is and the flashlight is one thing because it, it's only going to put out a beam of light but a drop cord can shine out about Oh, 270 degrees mm-hmm. of irritation. <laughs> and you could hold it up. No matter where you held it, it was in Grandpa's eyes. <laughs> yeah, right. You get that grab. Like, Would you yeah. just hold it? Hold it still. <laughs> you know, I think it's important what you just mentioned, Eric. You know, we're all at that age. We're in our, you know, upper 40s. Yeah. We're the tail age of the kids that had that opportunity to help our fathers or friends fathers in the garage to learn the basic mechanic skills you know kids today you know people don't work on their own cars no, anymore they don't they don't Definitely have that not opportunity. as much as they did because of the technology the fuel injection it's just you can't you can't just do that in your driveway anymore well you got to have a, a code reader to plug is, in to right. say here's what the I code mean, is and know what the code means so that way you can then go to the part and see what's going on exactly so i, I it's just to me it's amazing that we are the the last generation our age group that learned from our fathers Mm -hmm. how to work on 
the cars of the 60s, 70s, even 80s. in the 80s. Yep. You know, we start getting into the late 80s and the 90s. You got your fuel injection and everything else. Right. Our fathers quit working on cars yep. when yeah. fuel injection came. I, mean, I know my father did. Well, uh, well, my, I mean, my father worked in the driveway all day long, all the time, mm-hmm. when he needed to on carburetors and in general uh, issues with our cars. Yeah. But when, when fuel injection came, you know, he quit doing that, yep. you know, just because he didn't know. It was just, you know, it was a new technology. Yeah. Oh, Which yeah. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. It just kind of stuck out. Well, I mean, I learned how to pack a wheel bearing because he showed me the oh, right yeah. way to do it. He said, no, you're not going to rub it. You put it in there and you, and you get it in there, but don't, don't watch your fingers. You're going to hurt yourself. But no, you get it in there. You got to get that uh-huh. grace in there. I thought, man, I really did a good job. He said, yeah, do more. <laughs> it's I know. not in there. <laughs> I remember the first time my father taught me how to pack a bearing on a, on a, on a trailer. And he had that big i don't know container of grease and i think if you stick your fingers there and i put the you know the little tips in my fingers like no no you go down there and you grab it and you just pack it in there and you get it on there and then with a hammer you just beat it in there and there you go and and my hands are all dirty i'm like dad how do i clean my hands (laughs) you know i was i don't know 12 years old dad shows you a secret so my hands are all dirty dad (laughs) what are you gonna do that's right that's but but we are seriously the last generation that are probably ever going to do something like that mm-hmm. yep yep that's it's interesting right. yep oh, what obds came out in what 1996 uh, uh is that 81 81 all right there you go sorry it's kind of like the military they yeah they came out like 15 years before they actually <laughs> well, used well, them we actually <laughs> right there you go all right gotcha gotcha so okay so back to vv cook so so how long were you with them then for two years okay mm-hmm. And at, at that point, uh, V.V. Jr. was taking over everything that his father had created. Mm-hmm. And so he hired a, someone to manage the business. Yep. And that didn't have the same feel as when I was working there for the first year and a half for V.V. Jr. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the reason I left. Um, the service manager, which got relieved of his position when the new guy took over, mm-hmm. he went to Montgomery Chevrolet. And while he, when, as soon as he got his feet on the ground there, he called me and said, hey, I need you out here. And I said, okay, let me come look. And so I looked at his situation, and I looked back at where I was with the other situation and unhappy with the, the feeling that okay. I wasn't getting anymore. Gotcha. And so I went to Montgomery. Okay, gotcha. Uh, and how long were you uh, with Montgomery then? For two years. Okay, gotcha. Also. Yep. And a gentleman by the name of Laddie Hunt had came from V.V. Cook with me. Mm-hmm. And he became the service manager at Montgomery. I got you. Yep. And he and I formulated a plan. Mm-hmm. And after two years, we decided it was ready to. It was time for us to be on our own. Gotcha. And we opened up our own business. Very good. Which we operated for thirty years. And, and, it, and this was specific to GM cars, primarily, right? It was, right? It was yep. a business relating to service work on GM cars only. Gotcha. And uh, and I only ask you this: How many parts were on that Corvette? <laughs> 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 The Corvette that's on the facade. There's a, the there's a facade that has yeah, right, a Corvette yeah, right, right. that is an icon. Is it one car? No, there's, there are 11 different cars in, in <laughs> oh, that wow. Corvette sign. There you go. Wow. Yeah, and I had a friend in the body business, and I went out to his place, and we just started picking up fenders and doors and bumpers and wheels and 
one piece at a time we put it together it's like johnny cash yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go i was getting ready to mention that awesome that's that so but cool that, that, that was, that was so the most cool. fun part of uh, opening the new building was putting that corvette on the side mm-hmm. of the building that's so cool and, and so you said the word corvette so let's talk about your history with corvettes well vivi cook again mm-hmm. was the corvette place in louisville mm-hmm. and uh then they were starting to fade down a little bit, and they closed in 82. Okay. So when we opened the business, the first car that we had waiting, actually waiting at the, on the asphalt, was a 65 Corvette Roadster. Okay. And so we did some wheel bearing work on that for the customer, put him back on the road. And uh, a lady came in with a Cadillac, and we did some work on it for her. And I had put a Corvette on the logo on my invoice. And she looked at that very sternly and said, do you work on Corvettes? <laughs> and I thought, oh, boy, I'm going to get smacked from here. <laughs> and she, I said, yes, ma'am, we do. And she said, well, good. My son has one. I'm going to tell him about it. <laughs> so that set the seed to me that mm-hmm. promote what you do. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. Some people, she's going to look at it with a question in her eye, but she really was going to tell, get me another customer. Mm-hmm. And so we started working on corvettes literally every day and uh corvettes represented a third of the business what year was this roughly Uh, started in 76 so 76 was souping up corvettes or souping up any car a big part of your business or was that kind of the seed that started they're gonna start bringing corvettes to us what more can we do to soup these corvettes up that maybe the owner wants I mean, was that like kind of the beginning or is that already in your mind of we can really soup these things up? Or did you all just start saying, hey, you know, maybe this is a niche that we can kind of start hot riding already the hot rod Corvette? Mm-hmm. It It's kind of a, a double-edged sword there in a sense. Number one, we were just thinking about doing service work on the car if they needed a wheel bearing, if they needed a window, right. power window motor. And we did all the things that we would normally done in the dealership. We had the experience, having been there, so we could do that, and so we became known as the Corvette shop. In conjunction with that, the next guy would come in and say, well, you know, I'd like to get one of those new intake manifolds that Edelbrock's mm-hmm. got out. Can right. you put that in a new carburetor on for me and side pipes? And so <clears throat> I actually called, would be me, by the, way. Called the company <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and bought, talked to the company, bought the parts as a package-type situation as opposed to just throwing a bunch of different parts on there. Mm-hmm. Try to buy things that were coordinated together. And, yes, we started to suit them up. And when they start running better, then they tell the next guy. And right. the next guy wants to get this done. The next guy wants that done. So off top, top of your head, uh, roughly clientele-wise, Corvette-wise, I mean, how, how many clients might you have gathered through the years roughly with, with Corvettes? Uh, that's a good question. Okay. Honestly, gotcha. I don't no, know no, how to answer fine. it. Yeah. <clears throat> but, I, but I can tell you that... On some given days during the uh, during the two late eighties, okay, we would have as many as twenty Corvettes in the building. Nice. I got you. Nice. <laughs> There's nothing more so. sexier than a mid to late seventies Corvette with side pipes. Yeah. They are. I well, love side good. pipes that's on right. the Corvettes, yep. especially that model. That's 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 cool stuff. Absolutely. 
We're going to take a quick moment and ask our listeners to please check out our sponsor, GD Hearing. GD Hearing provides options on insuring not only your classic car, but for all of your collectibles. Please check them out at gdhearing.com and also join us at our website, theclassiccarcorner.com, where you can access our shows, learn more about us and what we are up to. And today we're speaking with Patrick Knight. And it seems when you were talking about how you you called Elder Brock and you did this, in the time that you were doing this, this isn't the time when uh, manufacturers, I guess, put kits together. So you were actually creating kits from the manufacturer that said, well, these all parts, it's... They were like, well, we can sell you this part, this part, this part. But you actually had that conversation of, well, what should go together to make this flow properly? And then that's how that worked out. And um, how would they, how, I mean, it sounds like they were responding to that a little more favorably than just, I just need a part. How did that work out? They were. Um, the late 70s was, was not exactly a high performance era. The late 60s was. And anything that you did to the car in the 60s, made a dramatic improvement on it. But if you're going to do it in the 70s, late 70s, you had to have something that was coordinated. The carburetor had to be coordinated with with its CFM Mm -hmm. to the intake manifold, to the camshaft, to the exhaust, to make it all happen harmoniously. Mm -hmm. If you just threw a bunch of parts on there that threw a a 750 Holley on it, as an example, that's a big number. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a dog because it can't handle that much. Mm-hmm. And so Vic Edelbrock, personally himself, they developed this program to where they had a system of all these parts that were going to work together on that era car. Because that era car didn't have great big ports. It didn't have high compression. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of a lackadaisical car. And if you're going to put something on it, you had to do, you had to do things refined right. rather than just throwing big things at it. Gotcha. And, and so that's what we did with, with a lot of the Corvettes, and it, it worked out quite well. So let's talk about a collection. Do you, in fact, own a Corvette, or how many Corvettes have you had? And I know you've had some sponsorships with Carl Casper Custom Autos, right? Sure. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, my wife calls them uh, orphans. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a car would come in that, that you know, the owner was tired of it. This was the last straw. I'm not spending another nickel on channel. <laughs> we would end up with it. <laughs> gotcha. Yep. <laughs> Which is kind of a good spot to be in, to be yeah, honest with it, you. It was. It's not was a bad gig. Yeah, you know, right. My first one that that was that way was a 69 Corvette, 427 aluminum head tri-power car that the guy bought new and drove it to GE every day. And when it came in the shop, I told him, I said, man, I love your car. And I said, if you ever wanted to sell it, I want to be the guy. And he said, I'll never sell it. Never will. And I said, I understand that. Don't, don't, don't be offended. You know, I said, I understand that fully. Three months later, he called me back. <laughs> <laughs> and there I was with a gold 69 big block Corvette, you know. And I was, I was stepping tall. Right, right. <laughs> and so how long? What did you do with that car? Um, I restored it, kept it for about a year. And when we got ready to build a new building, it paid for one of the corners. <laughs> I got you. Very cool. <laughs> Tragic, but I appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. So uh, we were fortunate enough to have um, Tom Peters, uh, chief of design for Corvette C6, C7, C8, on a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he was talking about, you know, the, the evolution. What in, in your mind, you've obviously had a lot of exposure to these cars from – 53 all the way up to 
2020 at this point. Um, what have you, what, what are, I guess, what model years are your favorite? Why are they your favorite? Uh, what would you like to see in the future um, with Corvettes as they continue to be produced? The To go backwards with your answer, yep. the, the C1 Corvettes were always exciting. Mm-hmm. They, they were classic, and they were reaching out to the American public to get a sports car on the mm-hmm. on the right. ground, you know. Um, the C2 Corvettes, they are so sexy. Mm-hmm. You you right. just can't no doubt. beat those 63 to 7. They call them mid-years. Mm-hmm. They they had a, a very refined chassis underneath them compared to the C1s, which was a 53 Chevy front suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first era for that chassis. Then the C3 cars had the same chassis underneath them, but a lot more body and a lot more weight and a lot more nose weight and a lot more tail weight, and they become a bigger car. They weren't as nimble and quick as the mid-years. Mm-hmm. But there again, that's the cars that I learned to work on every day mm-hmm. at VV Cook and Montgomery and at the business. Mm-hmm. We worked on a ton of those cars. Right. And so then uh, they, they came out with the C4s, they were new and exciting. We were fortunate enough to have a an '84 <clears throat> on display at at our shop during Christmas, and we got to drive it up and down Electron Drive at speeds that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> well, <laughs> but yeah. back but, then, there wasn't a lot of stuff out there. Right. If it was a weekend, it was ghost town. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Bachman loaned it to us, and I mean, Come it on. was so exciting to have that new car there because it was new generation stuff. Oh yeah, you know <laughs> that had the uh, digital. Uh, oh the, yeah, the remember the commercial? Uh, as yeah, you know, right. commercial we put on when we did that. Yeah, LCD. We're speaking of. Yeah. Do you remember the commercial, Patrick, when they came out with the '84 Corvette, the new, the official GM commercial? It had to have been, it was about three and a half minutes long. It had a yeah. little jingle. You've never seen anything like this before. It's yeah. very 80s, but anyway. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it went on. I don't know if you remember that. I mean, the 84 car. Yeah. We had that on our show, and and I've never heard of it before we put it on here. And Eric brought it out here, and I was like, that's like the greatest commercial ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I was back in the day, I'm buying that car. They were so proud of it. Oh, oh yeah, it was you know, awesome. Digital technology, mm-hmm. turbine wheels, you know. Well, psh, psh, psh. well and I thought yep. uh, actually, <laughs> it wasn't until right. we were at, at your shop and we saw that 65, the green, emerald green. Was that the 65? Yes. Beautiful. And I'm going to ask you a question about the true color, what Corvettes are and what other colors of Corvettes actually mean here in a minute. Um, but it seems but the 84 brought back that exact that same rollover headlight that was from that model it's like more of a tribute i thought well this little spinning headlight thing that's a that's new no. they brought back Not the mid-year headlight to that yeah yep which i th- which just when you literally know when you connect the dots and it's like oh that is so cool well i'll i'll go back to your question about colors on the corvettes uh-huh. <laughs> all corvettes are red I, the right. other colors are just mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that's it. Right. I that's like right. it. That's right. Now, Patrick, my favorite Corvette's the '82 Corvette. It's a seminal thing. I had a uh, great uncle that was a military guy, Air Force. He he loved Corvettes, and '82 was his favorite. And when he retired, and I was uh, a younger teenager, I we go visit him down in uh, Florida and Dustin. 
where he retired from Eglin Air Force Base. And from the day I had my permit for the next few years that we go down there, he let me drive. He'd just hand me the keys to this 82 Corvette. Wow. And uh, I drove that Corvette from Fort Walton Beach to San Dustin about 10 times a day. And all he'd say, do you need gas? And I'd say, yeah, we're getting low. And he'd, he'd give me his card, and we'd go get gas. Great. Uh, and ever since, it, just the experiences I had in that Corvette, you know, the first time he took me out to teach me how to drive, uh, that much horsepower in that, that light of a car. And, you know, to this day, uh, it is my, my go-to car. The car I will own one of these days uh, is an 82 Vet. Um, with the crossfire fuel injection, whether I slap in a LS motor in that thing and swap it out is probably my thing. Uh, I have a cousin that's a Chevy guy that has told me, if you do that, you're an idiot. But, you know, <laughs> right, he's he's a naturalist. He's a, and there's something to say to that, and I appreciate that. But the 82 Vet, to me, uh, is one of my favorites uh, style-wise. Sexy wise, the 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 shape of the body, uh, to me. Not to mention, you know, it doesn't compare to the modern Corvette, which is just off the charts. Yeah. But you know, back then, in the '80s and early '90s, when you look at the '82 Vet, and even the '84, you know, you know, the new generation Vet '84 to even to the late '80s to the early '90s, just wasn't really a whole lot to speak about. Yeah. So, uh, so you've pretty well explained it, but let's ask the pointed question: Did you ever get over it? Uh, no, no, I see, have not. You, that, that's, uh, I have, that's a pivotal point in your life. You know, I have so many experiences in that vet uh, that you know I still remember today. That's thirty years later, yeah. and uh, it's I'll never forget oh, it. Yeah, they're, they're fun cars. Yeah, I mean they're iconic, right? Yeah, yeah. America's no first sports car. Yep, you know, yeah, yeah, that's exactly you, right. They were just, all polo white when they came out mm-hmm. and they were all fiberglass when they came out and were the c2s fiberglass as well or do all, you remember? all still are oh okay are and were okay you know now, now in the in the 82 era they started putting a bird cage in the car which was made out of steel mm-hmm. and then they wrapped the fiberglass around it so they did that for structure and safety gotcha yep but yep. but all the bodies are still and and will forever be, be fiberglass. fiberglass gotcha and that obviously is for weight, mostly. Correct? Is it? Is it just? It, not really. Okay. It just it just started out that way, and by gosh, it it it's, needs to stay that way. Gotcha. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, they've be, changed the formulation on fiberglass, like in the in the '84 eras, with the clamshell hood. You know, yeah. that's more of a molded unit. Mm-hmm. You know, but but back in the in the early days on the C1 and 2 cars, there's many photographs that you can find on the internet of guys walking up and laying the fiberglass they call it where they just lay the parts together in a mold and put the glues and the hardeners and everything in there and all of a sudden when they take the mold off voila there's a front clip for a 63 corvette there it is yeah <laughs> gotcha. and it's and to me you know there there's that thing from the the 60s to the 80s that that 82 vet the 69 or 79 80 81 vet 82 vet that that era and then you got to 84, which was a totally new design, which was cool at the time. But in reality, looking back, it wasn't really the greatest car produced, mm-hmm. especially for a Corvette. But then you get into the 90s. I'll debate you on that. 
Well, when you get into the late 90s, you know, the 96, 97 Corvettes, when they kind of perfected that 84 version up, even though it changed body styles a little bit, you know, that late 90s was an awesome vet. Mm -hmm. And then you go into another 10 years to that, you know, 2009, 2010 vet, which is, you know, everybody wants a 20, 29 vet right now because they're fantastic cars for Mm -hmm. the money. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just funny how that every 10, 12, 15-year version from when they first came out to where they were kind of on the tail end, and then a new model came out and went forward. You know, they perfected that previous model right before they went to the next generation. They, they and, have to do that, you know. And those previous, those late two or three-year models before they went to the new generation are like the primo vets. Mm-hmm from that previous generation and those are the vets to have yep. what from your experience patrick from working on these from different generations um what and i kind of going back to jason's question there as far as in from your perspective what are some things that they could have done better or like if you have a c2 c3 generation corvette it's like if you do this to it you're going to have a little more fun with it or a little more reliability because it just time has its way with every car. I mean, whether it's a Corvette or a Toyota, I mean, every time plays metal bends, it gets hot and cools. It, what would what would be good? I don't know how to say upgrades, but what would be some fun things to do to to some of these that you think would be from your experience? Cool mods. Well, back in the in the seventies, we talked about this a little bit ago the government restrictions were starting to come in on the cars Mm -hmm. and they were putting uh, emission related parts on them and so you had to be really careful what you did to try and modify it because you were going to go backwards if you put too much on there Mm -hmm. so in answer to the question the the government had changed things around a little bit to where the average guy couldn't help himself too much with it Mm -hmm. I'll go backwards again if you had a 69 Chevelle and you wanted to to put a new camshaft in it if it was just a, a three, 327, 350 small block you want to put a new cam in it you go by the, the 327, 350 horse cam set of lifters put it in and voila it, it just turned that engine around mm-hmm. but you couldn't quite do that with the 70s era cars and then, and then the 80s era cars because in the 80s of course the, the computer issues started to come into play in the seventies cars, is that when they brought in the catalytic converters and uh, as part of the mission controls, EGR valves and smaller ports, lesser mm-hmm. compression, right? You know, and all those Fuel things economy. really dictated the total scope of the of the performance of the car. Right, there was an oil crisis for a big part of the seventies there, so gas was kind of hard to come by. So I guess it was more of how can we still make Corvettes that are fun but fuel efficient? There's there's a word called cafe, and that's that's a a big uh, car production term, and it was corporate average fuel economy. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they lived and died by that at the car manufacturer. Well, that's uh, was it. They called the cafe standard Carter administration mm-hmm. that made the fifty-five mile an hour. I believe it was. Uh, remember, because your speedometer would, and then the set the speedometer on fifty-five. Highlighted fifty. Yeah, right. The fifty-five yeah. was bold, and it can only go yeah. to eighty-five. <laughs> I believe you're correct. <laughs> right, right. But 
He oh. talked about the 69 Chevelle, one of the coolest cars ever produced. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you like Chevy, Ford, Fiat, or <laughs> Yugo. Right. There is no cooler car than the 69 Chevelle, right. in my opinion. Yeah, very cool. That's exactly right. Um, Patrick, you know, here we are. We've engaged in conversation now for the past half hour. We're going to be wrapping this up. Uh, are there any other Anything else related to Corvettes, VV Cook, anything that you'd like to mention as, uh, as, as for closing comments? The, the VV Cook dealership was extremely interested in the Corvette line. Mm-hmm. That was VV Jr.'s car of choice. Mm-hmm. He got the first 53 that came to VV Cook Chevrolet, mm-hmm. and it was his car. He drove it every day. So he became extremely interested in them. He then, in and around 1958, was road course racing his 58 Fuley Corvette and met a couple of guys named Alan and Don Barker. They were racing in Austin Healey. And one of the places they were racing it at, believe this or not, was the Louisville Fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. This was before it was as big as it is, is, is... heavily used it is today they set up hay bales and they road raced around the whole parking lot nice. from front right. to back right. what years and was this uh it was in 58 and 59 nice and possibly 60 yep and uh there were some guys there named roger penske racing no yeah yeah never heard of another him. <laughs> another guy named augie pabst oh wow. i never heard of him either and and here's vv cook out there racing his 58 corvette <laughs> and alan don barker with their Austin Healey. So they developed a relationship, and from that relationship became the V.V. Cook Corvette SCCA, Sports Car Club of America, racing team. Wow. And the first car that they built for the the SCCA circuit was a 63 Z06 car, which I do happen to have the rear quarter panels oh, from. Oh, nice. Cool. Wow. And uh, they dominated the B sport class for I can't remember exactly how many years now, but mm-hmm. they did it for several years with the 63. Then they bought a 69 car and prepared it and dominated the class again. Six years is what sticks in my mind. Mm-hmm. I got you. And they were just the cat's meow. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. that's all it was to it. And that helped to solidify V.V. Cook Chevrolet's Corvette image and Corvette business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in the service department, I can remember going in there with my grandpa again and looking at a 57 Corvette that was sitting in one of the bays. It had Tennessee plates on it, and one of the technicians there was putting a Hilburn fuel injection on it. <laughs> and wow. the man drug the car from Tennessee to Louisville, Kentucky, to get their technicians to do that job because their racing exploits were reaching out. Gotcha. That's awesome. VV Cook back then, you know, there probably weren't very many other competitive shops back then, maybe one, maybe two regionally. Now, you know, you know, that was the pinnacle. They found their niche Mm -hmm. and they mastered that niche. So VV Cook, that's why they dominated for six straight years. That technology, that that all the 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 mechanics they had in there building those race cars, mm-hmm. 
That's you know, reputation. They built, yep. yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Built a name for themselves. They did. And, you know, and that probably was the kickstart for a lot of other smaller garages that started back then that took 10 years to build up to be whatever they may be to get into the racing league. And then vice versa regionally, now you got five or six shops like VV Cook building on that reputation, building on the technology, the competitiveness, being competitive in that racing circuit mm -hmm. and building that reputation, you know, back in the 60s. That's Yep, that's right. And now, you know, there's hundreds of garages regionally mm -hmm. that that kind of do the same thing just with modern technology. Yeah. It would not have started without shops like VV Cook. Yeah, absolutely. That's There's right. no question. That's right. Well, Patrick, uh, we have so enjoyed speaking with you. Your history, knowledge, and overall automotive enthusiasm has been a blast to talk about. And for our listeners of the podcast, like us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe so you're notified of new shows, and please leave us a review. Uh, please check out our new website, www.theclassiccarcorner.com. And, um, Patrick, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, guys, we look forward to having you next time, and um, we'd like to welcome you back at any time, Patrick. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you Thank very you much. for having thank me. Thank you so much.